Hello and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I am very excited and and just really honored to be here with Melanie Campbell um, to talk about a book series that she's written, um, and it's uh, called Whispers of Grace, and specifically her first book um, that's called One Woman Falling, and um, and just also to talk about the topic of domestic abuse and the struggle that a lot of women face silently and alone, even within the church. So Melanie, thank you for being here, for sharing your story and just being willing to talk openly about this topic. Thank you for having me. Um, Before we get started talking about your books and um, just about all of these things, we like to ask our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet? in quotes, where do you, where do you like to go? Not a closet necessarily, but it could be, um, but just anywhere that you, that you feel closest to God. Yeah. Um, you know, I think my prayer routines have changed over time, depending on, you know, what phase of life I'm in and what's going on. But the one place where I consistently feel closer to God is probably just being in the outdoors you know, walking through the trees, near water, hearing the wind blow, um, just out in nature, away from everything. And that's where I feel like I can really draw close to God. Well, that definitely is reflected in your book, One Woman (laughs) Falling, about just kind of how she goes to nature sort of to rediscover herself and and find find her way. So, yeah. Well, so your Whispers of Grace series of novels talk about some very difficult topics. You bring up domestic abuse, substance abuse, divorce, forgiveness. Um, So can you just tell us a little bit about what what it was that inspired you to write this series of books and, and what part that your own experiences played in writing them? Um, Well, it really started with the first book, One Woman Falling. I didn't necessarily have a series in mind, but I had this this need to share my testimony um, as far as my past and the um, abusive marriage I had been in and how God really helped me escape that and how I found him in that process. And then it became a series, um, partly because of the publishers like requirements, they like series and, and, but partly because I also out of that had other stories to tell. Um, so there is, you know, the second book, One Way Home deals a lot with addiction, alcoholism specifically, and there is a history of alcoholism in my family, um, I ended up marrying an alcoholic who was also abusive. Um, And then the third book is kind of like wrapping up both those stories and about the challenges we can face in the church when we have a past and we're faced with kind of a religious uh, religious judgment and and I think that's a really hard place to be. And we shouldn't be afraid to go to church, right? We shouldn't feel like that's somewhere we're not welcome. And so that is um, kind of what spurred the third one. 
Yeah. I mean, we could have an episode about every single topic in depth and, and then some, um, just because those topics are so important to talk about and they're so real for so many women. Um, I think today a lot of our focus is just because the the book that I read was one woman falling. And I mean, I was just riveted, like from the beginning, I got totally sucked in. I listened to it as an audio book. And, um, but I just, I was like, just waiting for the next time that I had to listen. Cause I, <laughs> I just couldn't wait to see what happened next. Um, but you do such a beautiful job in this book. Um, a lot of, I've read several books that involve, domestic abuse um, or women, you know, trying to leave. And I just could feel the authenticity. Like I, I just was like, she had to have been here to write this and, you know, just different parts of the book where it just was so real. And so, um, I don't know, just, just very, um, it evoked a lot of emotion as a reader. Um, and so I just, I just wanted to ask you about a couple of those things. Um, well, so first of all, you talk about writing book one that you didn't initially want to write it because it was too painful because I'm guessing of all of these personal pieces that found their way through the book that probably took you right back to the, mm -hmm. the difficult times that you experienced. So um, what was the turning point for you to begin writing the book? Um, I think it was kind of a buildup. Um, you know, my life had was was going well. I had remarried. Um, my husband and I had a daughter together, so we had three daughters all together, and um, and we were very involved in our church. And it seemed that women who were going through similar situations seemed to find me. And I would find myself talking to these women and always feeling like I couldn't really convey um, sort of like everything I had, I had learned through my own journey of walking through what they were walking through. And, um, and then, but I was just feeling like I needed to share my story in more detail. And I had been thinking even about writing a memoir. Um, I think if there was a turning point, like kind of the the thing that pushed me is um, it was, I think, September 1st, 2010, I um, opened our newspaper. It was, I think it was on the front page, was this story of a woman who was about my age and who had two daughters about my age of the my first two from my first marriage. And um her husband had killed her and he had left you know they their children were orphans at this point and she had sought a stalking and restraining order against him and it had been dismissed and it was obvious from reading the story that there was a long history of this um of something not being right but no obvious signs of it right no no one talked about like black eyes or anything like that and I I was just so struck by um you know it's just I was just so heartbroken and I felt almost guilty I'm kind of like a survivor's guilt kind of thing like why mm -hmm. did I get to get out of my situation and hers ended like this 
And so I just, um, I sought God for that. And he just blatantly in a dream told me that I had to share my story. <laughs> um, but then I was kind of afraid of it, what it would bring as far as um, too much information about my life out in the public and not just mine, but my children's. Yeah. And, and also the, my real story um, was very complicated, much more complicated than one woman falling and, um, and really kind of more um, melodramatic for a better word. There was just so much that happened. And um, so that's when I decided to turn it into a fictional story, especially since I had always loved reading fiction. I had always wanted to write fiction. Um, and once I decided to do that, I was able to actually start writing the story and, and put the essence what happened to me and using my own experiences and that emotional journey and putting it into a story. How did it make you feel when you first started pen to paper? How many years were you removed from the actual events before you started writing? Um, you know, that's hard to say because it kind of was a continuing thing. Right. I would say... At that point, probably at least four, five years. So it was still pretty fresh, though. I mean, that that's not a lot of time from no, trauma. It's been longer than that since the divorce, but yeah. because the, um, the abuse continued far after. It just got worse after the okay. divorce. Um, so, it, yeah, and it was, so it was still pretty fresh. Yeah. So and I still had a lot of healing to do. Yeah. So I, I just was wondering, so was it painful or healing or did one come before the other or was it both back and forth? How did, how did that, um, how did that feel for you? Yeah, it, it was both. Um, it was definitely a journey and, and that's why it took so long. Um, so that was 2010 and the One Woman Falling was published in 2019. So that gives you an idea of how long I spent writing, stopping, coming back. And then when you're done with a book, there's so much editing that goes into it. But um, it was very, uh, very yeah, difficult at times. Um, even early in the book, there's a scene where Cassie gets served with divorce papers. I was trying to figure out exactly how that would feel so that I could convey it in my story because that exact situation hadn't happened to me. That wasn't how it worked. And so I had set it aside for just a day or two to figure out how I could convey that emotion and it was a Saturday morning. We were celebrating my 40th birthday. There was a knock at the door. I open it and it's a process server. And it's um, <clears throat> papers from my ex-husband. Um, he had not seen our children in a few years. He had been in prison. I really thought he was not any longer a part of our story. Um, but he was seeking parenting time and custody changes. 
And so that was really hard. And I did have to take a little bit of a break because I was everything that everything came back up from the previous experiences and all that anxiety and all that fear. Um, and so it was also a chance to, to submit that all to God and to realize that I still carried so much and there was so much I still needed to be healed from. Um, also, practically, I had to walk out another battle um, in that process. And so it was very difficult to write in that battle. But by the time I could write again, I had a very fresh perspective of what it meant to go through it. Yeah. And, you know, in you sort of touched on this a little bit, but when... Um, in in one woman falling you bring up through the story this uh kind of struggle that Cassie the main character has about how to know if what you're experiencing is actually abuse or mm -hmm. is it just being with a difficult person and and you know even when there is physical contact if there's not a black eye um just Cassie struggles with this this concept of can I, I don't feel qualified to label my experience as abuse because I don't have marks because other women have it worse. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? And what would your advice be to someone right now? Who's kind of, you know, trying to go between this, this balance of like, well, how do I know? Yeah. And that's a really good question because people can be difficult, but not be abusive. Um, and I think the key there is um, an abusive person is looking for power and control. Their actions, what they're doing is all centers around their ability to have power and control in the relationship. Um, and I think, in when, especially with psychological abuse, because of the mind games that they play, um, the the woman, the abused person is constantly second guessing herself. That is just part of the manipulation that happens in that. And so I think it's helpful to bring someone else into your <clears throat> situation, whether you were to go to see a counselor um, or to call a hotline, um, just even talking to a trusted friend to get a um, uh, outside perspective of it and there is a website um, it's called uh, abuse recovery ministries it's arms for short and they have so many good resources on there they have classes um it's, yeah it's abuse recovery.org is the website and there is a you know even like a chart on there that shows you the different kinds of abuse and kind of uh, examples of what that kind of abuse is, you know, what the abuser is doing. And so you can go to that even and just read some of it. Like if you looked under psychological, it lists mind games, mental coercion, using looks or actions to generate fear, et cetera, et cetera. And you can maybe kind of logically look at it and see, like, is this, person doing these things 
And is there a pattern of this behavior? And really seeking that outside help, outside resources, um, a counselor is huge because it's really hard to do on your own, especially um, when you're in it for a, you know, any length of time. Um, you tend to get isolated because that's what abusers like to do is isolate you from your family and your friends. So you don't have people to turn to. But there are resources like this online that you can go and you can start there and start to look at your situation. Yeah, that's a that sounds like a great starting point. We'll link to that in our notes so that anyone interested can go there. Um, so did you find as you wrote each subsequent book that it became easier to write or, um, or did you continue processing through each one in different ways because they're about different things? Hmm. Um, well, it did get the process of writing got easier, mm -hmm. um, but there was always with each book, a time of, um, having to face some things and then and having to step back from them for a little bit to process and to heal. Um, writing is just a great way to really um, kind of dig deeper into yourself. I mean, even if you're not writing a story, journaling or anything, I think is immensely helpful. Um, but yeah, with One, uh, One Way Home, the second book, I realized I had a lot of need to forgive people in my life from my childhood. Mm. Um, and I had my own shame to deal with from these situations I had gotten into um, and some of the choices I had made that had led to, you know, me being there. And um, in the same with One Last Stand, it was, I actually initially thought it would be more about blended families because that is hard and that's a hard thing I've had to walk through mm -hmm. um but then I realized God really wanted me to look at the church hurt that I had had and he showed me that other people were having church hurt and so that was my time to really look at that I love the way God does that though, where you think, you know, you go into something thinking you've got your agenda and then mm -hmm. he flips it upside down and he's got like, I've got something else for you in this, but it's, it's always good. Yes. Um, sure. Well, in, in your book, in the first book, Cassie sort of goes through this process of finding her faith, maybe after having a foundation falling away from thinking, yeah, this isn't really this isn't for me to kind of rediscovering faith. Um, how did your faith journey look as you, you know, you mentioned that you kind of rediscovered God or discovered God through some of the trauma that you experienced. Could you share some of your own faith journey? Yeah. So I didn't really grow up in a, a really Christian home. We didn't go to church regularly or have any kind of solid, um, you know, faith. But I mean, I did believe in God. I was taught, you know, that God was real, um, but I didn't know 
anything. Um, so when, um, when the divorce happened from my first husband, I really, I started to seek God because I, it was just something in me was longing for him, um, for something. I couldn't even quite understand what it was. Um, and you know, it's really hard when you haven't lived as a Christian to, to, uh, really sometimes want to really buy into it. Right. Because it looks like a lot of sacrifice and it looks like a lot of like rules and requirements or something that you, you're not sure you can live up to. And so I was kind of on the, you know, kind of like one foot in one foot out for a while. And then, um, you know, it's just through everything that was happening with uh, the divorce, with my children, and with my health, um, God just drew me to him. And even in like the little prayers I would pray before I had even really committed myself to Jesus, and God was answering them. Um, he was my pursuer in that, in that time. I love that. It's, you know, that, that he was already answering them before you even were fully in mm -hmm. to a relationship with him. Um, can you share any examples? Do you have any that come to mind about ways that God met you? Um, yeah, one, one I like to use is, um, it was pretty, it was fairly, uh, not very long after the divorce and my oldest daughter who was four at the time, was in preschool and she was really struggling after, I mean, emotionally. And she was starting to not do very well at preschool, not interact with her peers and stuff. So I was worried about her and as any mother would be. And she was having, um, they were having this week of studying frogs. So every day they did something different about frogs. And on Friday, they had to bring something to do with frogs to school. Well, the way our, um, our parenting time worked out, it was very back and forth. And, and I realized on Thursday night that you know, she wasn't with me, but I was going to be picking her up Friday morning and taking her to preschool. And I didn't have anything for her to take that had to do with frogs. And it was kind of late at night and I had just gotten home and realized this and I just felt this immense failure as a mother um and I just dropped my hand on my steering wheel and I prayed you know god I'm so I'm such a bad mom how could I have not gotten something please help me <laughs> and uh so then I get out of my car and I'm just you know things are going through my brain like what can I do and I get to my door and right there on my um, doorstep is a frog, <laughs> a live frog. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And I swooped down and I picked it up and I made a little home for it in a Tupperware with some grass and stuff. And so the next day when I went and uh, picked up my daughter from my ex-husband's and took her to school, she had a live frog. Oh my goodness. I love that. Yeah. So it was just one of those things that, um, 
Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That's amazing. Do you have any times I know in the book, I can't think of the example, but I feel like in one woman falling that there's an example of just a prayer of desperation that gets met with silence. And it's like, are you even there? God, do you have any of those moments that you can remember of where you just were desperate and, and you, you didn't have an answer that came apparently or immediately? Um, you know, during that time specifically, there were just praying, praying for it to change. And it didn't change for a long time. And it took a lot of, a lot of court battles, um, to be free from that. Um, so it wasn't a, a not answer. I mean, it was silence for a time, um, and that was hard, but there was still in those prayers a sense of hope and also just like I couldn't give up. You know, I I never felt, when I would pray, I never felt like God wasn't hearing me. But I did feel sometimes that like he wasn't doing what I wanted him to and in a timeline that I that made sense to me, especially when I saw my children hurting. That's yeah. that's the hardest part. That adds a whole different dimension to mm-hmm. trials and trauma and suffering when when you are walking through it with your children or seeing them walk through it or both it, it, the having children. I feel like you did a wonderful job in the book of just portraying that the fear, the desperation, the stakes are so much higher. Cause when it's just you, it's like, okay, I'll muddle through this. I'll, I'll do what I have to do. But when it's your kid, it's like, it, it makes it all the more urgent. Yes. Um, you talk about, so uh, the one thing that I would say that just evoked the most emotion for me was the battle that Cassie went through trying to get truth across because sometimes it is just one person's word against another. Mm -hmm. And, and so I just feel like in, in your book, you did a wonderful job of just painting a picture of the desperation of just trying to navigate the legal system, mm-hmm. but having a hard time proving bad behavior of someone because abusers tend to be manipulative and they tend to be, I mean, just really good at hiding who they mm-hmm. really are. So, um, so do you think it's, it's difficult for women a to just if is this like a more common than than not problem that women have of trying to prove the guilt of an abuser um and does this also happen in the church 
you know, I think it happens in and out of the church. It's just, uh, it's something I think we don't really fully appreciate how much of it is going on. And, um, and women, I think it's getting better, but abusers, they are manipulative and they can appear to be someone completely different to the rest of the world. So it, I have seen women struggle. Um, I, you know, and as you see in the book, I mean, that's based a lot on my own experience of trying to make the, you know, the police understand, the judges understand what was going on. And um, yeah, it's very hard, but that's why, that's one of the things I hope come comes from the book is that people can be more aware of that this is going on and they might not be aware of it. It might be happening to a good friend and, and she's been hiding it. Um, I mean, even after writing this, I've had people that I did not think were going through things come to me and tell me what's going on in their lives. Um, and I think that is how we can, we can be the church to these women as by making ourselves approachable. And sometimes you make yourself approachable by sharing your own difficult mm -hmm. stuff, even if it's not the same thing, you know, whatever you're struggling with in your life, in your marriage, you know, being vulnerable enough to share it helps someone else who is maybe not going through the same thing, but something they can share they feel safer. They feel like you could understand them if you're sharing your story. Oh, that is good. And what would you say are, um, could you just give us maybe some warning signs? Like if someone is not willing to come right out and say, I'm being abused, what are some like red flags, warning signs that we could pick up on? And then if we suspect that, what do you do? Do you say, are you safe in your relationship? And how do you, how do we, how do we become better, but without making it weird or do you know what I'm saying? Without overstepping, without being out of line. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a, that's a difficult, a difficult line. And I think just being able you know, to listen um and to kind of notice things like wow this friend is never able to do certain things like she always has an excuse or I've never been in this woman's house like she never you know you know there's like you kind of watch for those red flags of um of isolation or of like kind of hiding um and then when someone is maybe sharing things that are going on, you know, ask questions. Um, maybe not exactly pointed questions, but like, oh, that, you know, how long has that been going on? Is that something that's happened before? You know, how do you feel about that? Have you, have you talked to a count, you know, even saying, have you talked to a counselor or, 
you know, those kind of things. It depends on your level of relationship with a person, obviously, but I think it's just um, really listening and just noticing things that might be off as far as that don't seem quite normal and not dismissing those things. I like that. I think that's so good for you to just um, to ask questions and be curious and to give the person a chance to open up rather than asking pointed questions like, are you safe? What did he do? You know, it's more like, how did that make you feel? And if the words afraid or fearful or whatever, you know, um, that that's that's good. And so originally you said provide a, a space by sharing your own struggles mm-hmm. that you don't have this picture perfect life and that you do have struggles. And second, just to ask those questions. That's so good. Um, and can you um, kind of go a little bit more into this question of church hurt? Because, you know, you, you talk about in the third book that that's kind of the theme of your third book in the series. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about some of the pain that you've experienced or learned from, I know you've spoken to many women about their struggles and their church hurt. And so um, can you just give us a glimpse of what does that look like today? Um, and and what advice you have for someone who is, is experiencing or has experienced hurt from the yeah. church? And I've heard of things with other women, not necessarily that I'm close to, but kind of, you know, you hear in that general, you hear stories. And it was, it was kind of ironic because of what, you know, who I am and what the books I have written. Uh, we went to this one church and the sermon was about divorce and remarriage. And like, is it ever okay? And the answer was no and no, like unequivocally no and no and he had very good sound biblical arguments for that but I think the thing that really got me was when he talked about abuse and he said if there's physical abuse then 911 should be called um he's like but if there's emotional or psychological abuse I hate to say this but my advice to you is to suffer and I'm just like it was hard to not get up and leave because I don't think, I mean, I cannot believe that that pastor really understands what he might have just done to women sitting there suffering abuse, to women watching online suffering abuse, who are already doubting themselves, who are already, you know, in that questioning of like, is this, you know, is this wrong? And am I the one that's wrong in this? And he just told them to suffer. Yeah. And, and it just it just astounds me. And then I think of all the women who are hearing messages like that. And it it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, how did you personally move on from those situations were you ever do you have an example of any times that you were able to have renewed conversations with people that hurt you and maybe educate them or come to a better understanding how 
I guess, two questions. How, how have you been able to move forward? And what is your advice to someone who has experienced that kind of church hurt, how to move forward? You know, I think sometimes you do. And like, and I had to change churches a couple of times because of, because I was hurt. But I think that um, you have to remember that pastors, people going to church, they're, they're people. They are not perfect. They make mistakes. They have their own problems. And they're not always going to do the right thing. And we can't give up on church because of some people that have hurt us. And we are called to gather and we are called to, you know, iron sharpens iron. And we can't do that if we're not, you know, meeting together with other believers. And we make ourselves so vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy when we isolate ourselves from, from gathering and from being part of a church body. Um, so I think my advice is to you know, not give up. You might have to change where you're at, but don't give up on church. That's and such good advice. Yeah, be careful about even taking a break because so often you've heard of people like, I just need to take a break and they end up never going back to church. So um, just don't give up. Well, that's so good. Very good advice. Well, if there was one takeaway from this first book or even from, from the book series, what would you want it to be? Well, from the whole series, I would say uh, the takeaway is hope, mm -hmm. right? Our, our hope is in Jesus. And um, I think for one woman falling, for the woman who's reading it, who has been through or is going through it, the message would be like, you are worth fighting for. You are worth the fight. Um, God is there. And that's not what he wanted for you. This is not his perfect plan um, for your life. So, you know, you can stand up and you can, you know, fight for the life that you deserve. Um, a life free of abuse. Um, but, you know, overall, the whole series, I just um, hope. It's beautiful. And Melanie, I really believe that women that read this first book and, and I'm assuming all three, but especially this first book will come away with hope and will come away with courage. And so I really thank you for writing it. And I feel like, um, for the, for women that have children and the stakes feel high, you might believe your children are worth fighting for or your children are worth getting out of an abusive relationship for but to the woman who doesn't have children you yourself you know just like you said you are worth fighting for so i hope if there's a woman listening who doesn't have kids that that she can say oh well we got to get out you know but right. you are worth fighting for as well and god has plans for you mm -hmm. um so i just i i believe that that anyone that reads this book, Melanie, is going to feel that hope, feel that courage to to take steps to move forward out of 
out of a bad situation. So thank you for having the courage yourself to share uh, painful parts of your story. Well, can you tell our listeners where they can connect with you online and on social media and find your books? Um, well, there's my website, melaniecampbellauthor.org, and you can go there and there's links to all three of the books on Amazon and you can sign up for my newsletter. Uh, you can find the books on online sources like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Christian books. And I even saw an ad come up on thrifty books or something for one woman falling. So um, all those, and then I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I don't really do much other social media, but. All right. Well, Melanie, thank you. And how can we pray for you today? I'm going to close this out in prayer. Um, just like I had mentioned, we recently moved and um, I think we have found a church and that is good. Um, but just for us to continue to find our place here and what God has for us um, in this new journey. All right. Well, thank you again, Melanie. And yeah, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time with Melanie. I thank you for her obedience and her courage in writing these books and just putting pen to paper and putting her story out there. Lord, we just pray that you would bless her and her family as they move to a new place and just figure out all of the details of where everything is and um, for her kids as they adjust to all the new things and for her as she adjusts to starting over. We just pray that you would provide for them in every single way, God. We pray that you would provide for them all emotionally, that you would help them to just uh, be um, all in in the in the new place that you would help them to embrace um, all of the new things that you have for them, that you would provide people around them just to build them up emotionally, spiritually, um, that you would help them to find a church family and really connect with them. And we just pray that you would, um, provide for them physically. I know moving can just cause all kinds of havoc on your body and just health. I pray that you would bless their health. God, bring healing where healing is needed, bring um, balance where balance is needed and just help them to be healthy as they transition. And Lord, we just pray for these books that they would get into the hands of women that desperately need them, that they you would help women that are on the fence about whether or not to get help in an abusive situation or that need to define whether they're in an abusive situation to help them have some tools to get there and, and figure it out. And we would just pray your protection on each woman that is suffering abuse. And we just pray God, your direct intervention. We pray that they would meet you, that you would provide a way out and that you would um, provide wisdom provide people to provide wisdom, provide resources financially, um, practically, and, and just all of the things that they need to get to safety. And we pray for open doors. Just, I think back to that example of Cassie in one woman falling and her desperation in trying 
to expose truth and and get her story heard and understood through the court system, through people. God, we just pray that lies would be exposed, that truth would be revealed in Jesus' name, that where there is deception, where there is activity in shadows, where there are abusers that are hiding their true identity, that you would expose them in Jesus' name, and that you would point these women to safe places. And we just thank you, God, that you are at work in all things for the woman who is in the deepest depths of despair, who feels hopeless, who feels like she's at the end of her rope. God, you are there with her. You are close to the brokenhearted. You are right there at work, even if it's invisible work. And we just pray, God, that you would meet each woman right where she is right now to give her hope, to give her the very next step, even if she doesn't know anything else, that she would have the very next step illuminated mm-hmm. and that you would be a lifeline mm-hmm. and provide others that can be lifelines for them in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the praying Christian women podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to praying journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.